And I think mentoring to fit in can work and that's fine if that's what people want and that's how they're going to survive. Um, but I don't know if it helps you thrive. And it's not about being a woman or a man. It's just how you show up and how you want to be, right? Whether you want to be feminine or masculine or, or whatever that is. Um, it's really about that um, and just understanding people from their perspective, not enforcing yours. Welcome to Great Conversations with Nicola O'Donoghue, the podcast where everyday individuals share their extraordinary stories of struggle, success, and the wisdom they found along the way. This week, I'm joined by Mandy Graywall, a trailblazer and CEO of At Room Women's Network. On her path to success, Mandy confronted the challenges of racism and gender bias head on. What truly resonates is her unwavering commitment to her self-belief and identity and her steadfast refusal to compromise her values in order to fit in. Her journey is a testament to Mandy's inner strength and conviction in her own worth and ability. What I personally found so striking about Mandy's story is her infectious optimism, which effortlessly outshines negativity. Her remarkable success speaks of volumes, serving as an inspiring example of embracing a growth mindset, finding common ground in our diversity, and nurturing the individual greatness within each of us. I hope you enjoy Mandy's remarkable journey, gain insights into the importance of authenticity and mentorship, and tap into her empowering perspective on life as a guiding light for your own path to greatness. Mandy Graywell, welcome to Great Conversations. How are you today? I'm good and thank you for having me. I'm so excited to chat with you, Nicola. We start off our podcast now with a question that the previous guest has left. So Mandy, your question is, if you had Aladdin's genie, what would your wish be and why? Oh, <laughs> I know. <laughs> you know what? Um, I there's so many things um, that I think you can wish for, but I think, I don't know, there's like, there's maybe a couple that I think I could flip between, but one would possibly be um, that there be no physical violence in this world. Mm. Um, just no physical contact in a violent way between two people, because I think that's just... I don't know. I think it leads to a lot of these issues of world peace and beliefs and everything else. And I just think there's no need to go to that point. Um, mm. And I think, you know, if people kind of worked on themselves and figured out their path through. So I think it ties into a lot of things. It's hard to say what's that one thing. Um, but good question. Um, really makes you think, right? Like um, it, what it would be. It does. And what would um, younger Mandy have said to that question, do you think? How would she have answered it? I think when you're younger, you fall into the narrative of the world. So you kind of go through world peace and all that stuff. I mean, as a child, I wanted to be a diplomat because I just thought conflict could be resolved without so much violence. Um, it's coming to a, a middle ground on beliefs, right? Mm -hmm. um, but I don't know, maybe younger Mandy might have been a bit more like, oh, I want this or I want that I think your aspirations are different when you're younger um than as you get older probably 
Mm. But there's still a commonality there, though, which is what I'm hearing about being able to resolve and come to a collaborative solution without having to resort to violence. I'm just really curious, like um, that belief and that frame of reference. Where did it come from? Um, so I'm the first child in my family um, born in England. My grandparents, my parents are immigrants from India. And um, it was an interesting upbringing for me in the sense that, you know, I grew up um, in, a, I guess, in an environment that even my parents weren't familiar with. And they were trying to figure their way through it. And my grandparents. And so you grow up in this middle world, I think, um, as the child of an immigrant, where your parents and your grandparents have those values they've brought with them from a, another country. And then you're growing up in this environment that's new to them, but you, you, you know, you're born there. And then I think the other piece for me in that was, um, you know, I'm light skinned, green eyed. And I felt for a lot of my childhood, I didn't fit in sometimes either way. Um, I, you know, from a, from a, a heritage perspective, um, ethnicity wise, being Sikh, um, people would look at me and think, well, you're lighter skinned, you're green eyed, you know, you're one of them, like you're more on the white side, especially when you're trying to integrate into a community and fit in at school and all that stuff. And then in the environment I grew up in with England, you know, from a whiteness perspective, people would be like, well, you're not quite white, white. You've got a little bit of something. And so, you know, you're, you're something else and trying to figure out what that is. And so I feel like in some ways I grew up in that middle ground. And when you grow up in that middle ground, um, you have two kind of things that you strongly identify with, being Sikh and being British. And I think part of it for me was trying to reconcile the two into who I am. Mm -hmm. Um when you don't fit in either way, you know, and, and then it also became, um, how do I help one side see the other side? Um, how do I help integration? Um, how do I, and I'm, I'm that person, which is maybe why I answered the question about, you know, the genie with violence is I just think that, um, we can all get to what we want. It's just having kind of this little bit of give and take of understanding what somebody else is giving, what you're taking and what you're giving back, right? I think everything has that flow and that balance back and forth. Yeah. Um, and how do you really take that and become a melting pot to bring those two views together, but in a, in a, in a way that's, um, I guess, you know, good for the world. And I think the other side of it is too, mm. when I think about it is that I did encounter a lot of racism, um, even, you know, you know, even though I, I encountered a lot of racism, but um, I didn't take the view of, um, you know, taking that in. I kind of became more curious, like, why do you think that? You don't know me. Why do you have an opinion about me without knowing me? How do you have an opinion about me without knowing me, right? So yeah. I think there's a lot of those little pieces that came into it. And then I just started thinking that um, there's just better ways to resolve conflict sometimes. Mm, and it's just wow there's so much there I mean I can understand I, I, f I felt as if when you were talking this standing in the middle ground and just not being seen and then this desire to be to be seen by all parties um, and understood as well and I, I just you know n not to to drag up and go into past childhood trauma and I'm just genuinely so curious like you've referred to you know, the racism and not fitting in, but how was that? Like, talk to me about your 
your childhood and how you navigated that like what was it like um growing up for you and yeah um, that's an interesting point Nicola um and not something I think I've ever thought of or heard before but like now that you say it um I, I, again I just think that a lot of my childhood was very opposing things um you know very young um my um my nursery school were doing part of the floats for the Queen's Jubilee in England. So they shut down the streets um, and they were doing this kind of um, parade through the streets. And uh, my sister had just been born. My mom was really busy. So my teacher asked, um, can you, can, can I help her? Um, and if I get her an outfit and get it all done, can she be on these floats? And so it's that for me where you're, you, you, you are a, you are a certain color, you don't quite fit in, but you're given an opportunity to fit in. I'm on these parades, waving to people, going through the streets when I'm very, very young. Um, like I said, it was nursery school. And it's like this conflicting kind of experiences that you have that start to form your identity to, to in that way, right? That you've got this racism, but then you have these crazy experiences that tell you you're someone, um, that make you feel special, that make you feel that you can have anything. Mm. Um, and I think it's, it's just, it's, it's interesting what you do with those experiences, um, and how you kind of internalize them. And we're all different. We all react to things differently. And for me, the racism was hard because I felt like the racism was crushing me and telling me I couldn't be who I wanted to be. But then I also had these strong affirmations in my life that were telling me I could be anything. Um, so in some ways, it's almost like, I don't know, rising against the tide, right? Mm -hmm. Like you're really fighting against the tide to, to say, I am someone, I have the right to be here. I have the right to make my mark. I have the right to have what I want. Um, but then on the other side, it's like, yeah, you're not quite good enough you're not quite yeah. at the top right so it's, it's it's an interesting kind of experience to go through yeah and it's what you're sharing is my Micheline she um and one of the, the previous guests on one of the podcasts she shared very similar experience of growing up as a as a black woman and being and being told by the systems around her and the the racist society when she moved to the US that she was less than but then her home and her family were very much about you can be whatever you want to be you know you study hard and the world is yours for the taking and so she spoke about how she had that anchor that really helped her navigate what was going on externally in terms of the the racism and and the microaggressions she was experiencing on a daily basis and so one of the things that i would love to understand from you is what were what were your anchors like how did you navigate that one what are some of the things that really helped you i guess navigate but also find out your identity for yourself you know what? I think it's two things. And I've started to realize this more and more. One is um, somebody, and maybe not physically, but somebody opening a door or making room for you to show up. Um, the teacher in that instance was an Indian teacher too. Um, so she probably looked at me and thought, you know, there's some familiarity there and I want to help her. Mm -hmm. Um so there's, there's making room for people to show up and allowing them to kind of come in through the cracks. 
Um, there is that bit of conformity to say you have to do this to fit in, but then there's also that safe space that you can give people to say, well, I'm going to uh, give you some space to come in. And that's how we really start to, to move things. And I think the other one is um, validation on your beliefs. Um, I don't know. I haven't looked into this from a psychology perspective. It's just something that, you know, has been mulling around in my head, but it's this thing of, you know, if a child up until the age of five is given positive affirmations on who they are, and that's all they're given, they're not told what they can't do, they're not told, you know, don't do this, don't do that, but they're told, you know, you are smart, you are bright, you're going to be something, you can have anything you want. I think for me, I had a lot of that when I was younger, again, because I think I was the first child. So I, I feel like hopes and dreams were pinned on me in some way to say, you, you know, you can get the education you want. And, you know, my, my grandparents couldn't read or write. And so to them, my granddad would always say to me is that, you, you know, education is key because then you can read and write what you're signing, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, you have your destiny in your hands. You can control it if you can, if you're educated. So mm-hmm. it was always key. And I think that piece for me, as I, as I progressed in life, um, I would show up very strong in who I am. And I think throughout that process, I would get validation here and there. It's still very difficult. Like very early on in my career, one of my entry-level roles, I'd interviewed with a director and I was an entry-level role. And for me, it was like, oh my God, she's an executive, um, you know, and, and that in awe of. And I remember at the end of the interview, she said to me, she said, I just want you to know um, whether you work here or not, you're really going to go far. Um, you're really going to do well and wherever that is. And something as simple as that, when I walked away, I was on cloud nine. I did get the job, but it wasn't, it wasn't about the job anymore. It was the fact that she'd said that and it held me, it, it anchored me for a very long time that anything happened or anything I felt. I would remember what she'd said and it became kind of this thing of like someone saw that in me, somebody exists in me. And then how did that carry you through your teenage years and into university? Where did that grounding take you? Um, Those years, I think, became more difficult to a certain extent because as you start to get older and you start to move into adulthood, I think those were the years where I faced um, racism the most. Um, I just think as a child, it's not that you're dismissed, but you're a child. But I think as you start to move into adulthood, um, you start to become a force in this world that people feel um, can have impact, maybe. I don't know. Um, but that was where I started to feel, you know, the racism more. I started to actually, I feel like I started to withdraw. Um, I would turn up in class. We lived in a predominantly white neighborhood at that time. Um, and I would turn up at class, try and sit at the back of the room and try not to not not breathe but you'd even be afraid to take a breath because it just felt like that if I was seen then I'd be picked on Mm -hmm. um and so I would be very quiet I'd stay out the way do my work um you know and it was funny because a lot of my teachers were like wow like you know if your work is great and so they would really encourage me so I still had those validations Mm -hmm. um but it's very hard when you're trying to navigate environments where um you just feel so much, um, I don't even know if it's hate. Um, you just feel like you don't fit in, right? That's, that's yeah. hard to maneuver through at that age, I think, especially yeah. as you're trying to figure out who you are. 
Yeah, exactly. And I can imagine it must have felt really unsafe as well. Just, yeah. you know, very isolating and, and by by yourself and unsafe. So what were some of the things that helped you navigate through that? Um, we had, um, we, we had a mixture of people, even in the neighborhood, we had people that were like, why do you live here? And then we had people that were welcoming. And so I gravitated towards the people that were welcoming. Mm -hmm. Um, I tried to build that more and more and more in my social life. Um, I just tried to find people, um, that were more accepting that, you know, were willing to be friends or understand you or, you know, and even at school, I had one great friend, her name was Julie and she would really stick up for me and she would kind of really kind of stand up and say, don't pick on her. Don't say anything. Right. Um, and she'd really show up in a very strong way for me. And so again, I think I just, I gravitated to those people that wanted to help. I gravitated to those that did want to kind of evolve their views. Um, I'd get a lot of people say to me when they'd get to know me is, you know what, you're really not that different from us. Um, I'd hear that a lot. Um, is as I've got to know you, you know, you're really not that different from us. And then you kind of go through, am I changing to fit in or are they really accepting me for who I am? Right. Well, so I, yeah, I was going to say that it's such a, it's a, it's in itself. It's a backhanded compliment, isn't it? It's a microaggression yes. of, you know, still seeped in racism because it's yes. still otherizing. I would love for you to share more about your journey for discovering who you are. What did that yeah. look like? So my journey in discovering who I am um, has been, it, it's really interesting, I think, for me. It's been untangling my beliefs. Um, and what I mean by that is, like I said, when we grow up, we're taught um, what to believe to a certain degree, right? Whether it's through culture, religion, politics, school, um, and, and an example of it is, you know, you can have a belief system that um, I should get married and I should have kids, or you can have a belief system that I need to go to school and university and then I need to become a doctor. But there's all these beliefs that we we are given. Um, and I think the journey for me has been untangling those beliefs and which serve me and help me serve other people mm. and which ones actually kind of detract from who I am. And lead me down this path of looking at myself and thinking that's not who I want to be. That's not who I am. That's not who I like. And, you know, and I think part of that also for me has been, and especially in my career is I find myself working with people or in companies or situations. And I, I really pay attention to how I feel about it. Mm -hmm. Um, am I feeling good? Am I feeling impactful? Am I feel, uh, feeling like, you know, this is aligning with who I am and my values? Or do I feel like I'm doing this like a hamster on a wheel? I'm really curious though, this, this, what you speak of is such a huge awakening and very insightful and very conscious and self-aware. So what, how did you come to that? Was there something that, I mean, cause I'm assuming that you, this philosophy that you talk of and untangling your beliefs, you were already doing that process before the pandemic hit. So what was your trajectory and your route to actually get to that point in your life where you suddenly or you know, something, but where you came to this awareness of hold on a minute, I need to look at what's driving me here. Um, I'm an impactful person, I think, or like I think that way is um, how do my actions impact myself and others, and what are they leading me to, um, and, and what does that look like, right? Um, 
you know, how do you navigate from where you are to where you want to be? Um, and again, I think that goes back to my childhood. As a child, um, my dad would drive from like central England to London and he would sit me in the passenger seat and give me this paper map. You know, back then you have those big maps. that you, So he'd give me one of those paper maps and he'd be like, here's where we're going. Tell me how to get there. Um, so I'd open up this map and I would figure out all these routes to get there. Um, okay, we got to go turn here, turn there, do this. So I did that so much that I feel like it just trained, it's a habit. It just trained me in a certain way, especially because I was so young at the time. And I think a lot of my life if, and my career, especially from the beginning has been, what do I want to do? Who I am? Who, who am I? How does this really contribute to who I am? And I think even entry level, even when I worked in retail, um, a lot of my jobs, I've often thought, do I really want to do this? Do I like doing this? And how is it contributing to me learning and growing? It's been a journey, you know, at least for the last decade, to be honest, because I don't think you come to it overnight. Um, but you start to, again, reading and the people you surround yourself with, and you really start to figure out and move through, like, how do, how, how do I get to what I want. And I think what I started to realize is that sometimes what we do and what we want can be in conflict. Um, sometimes what we believe and what we want is in conflict. And so I just started to find quiet space. And I think a lot of it's been through meditation. A lot of it has been through, you know, just things like that to really stop the noise in your head. I don't know if you've read The Untethered Soul. Yes, um, I have. That's an amazing book. Um, and I think that was one of those first pieces for me that I started to realize, whoa, whoa, whoa like my thoughts are actually running by themselves and yeah. they're not me, right? Um, you know, I started to, that that's that moment of like, not detachment, but you start to think, well, hang on, my thoughts do run kind of like on their own. And then you start to, when you become conscious of that, then you become conscious of like, well, hang on, what are my beliefs? And are they serving me? Are they serving other people? If this is what I say I want to do, um, how is this kind of working? And so I think in that journey, um, it's, I don't know, I think it's dynamic, isn't it? It's just, yeah. it's, it's ever evolving, yeah. um, right? It is, how, you, how you entangle that. It is. And, and throughout it all, I just hear this, um, this real grounding and self-belief like a real a real sense of self-trust and because because it, it takes a lot of confidence to be able to not only open yourself up to those questions but to do the work around what are my thoughts what do I believe how that's impacting me like even what you're talking about with the um you know, being able to understand that what you want and what you do can sometimes be in conflict, you know, in order to be able to be mindful and aware of that, you have to be very connected and grounded in who you are and connected to your body. So was that something that was always present as a child? Because then, because that's what I'm really curious about, you, you, the, the, the middle ground within which you inhabited as you were navigating your childhood and then early adulthood, it, 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 fascinates me that you were able to still have that anchor and that belief in who you were despite what was going on externally or is this something that you came to a little bit later and actually um, you know what I've been thinking about this quite a bit lately I think in that um because I don't know how to explain it to people 
But what I do know is that no matter what happens, no matter what's going on, um, I feel like I will magnetically come back to this point of who I am and calmness. And so I always feel that um, it's not about not making mistakes, but I want to wake up every day and be better than yesterday. I want to be a good person. I want to, I want, and I, the reason I say I want to be a good person, because I think, do you ever get there? Like there's, there's, yeah. there's this constant evolution because we're navigating so many people around us too. And like I said, everything's ever changing. And so I kind of, I, I kind of think that how do I, how am I better today than yesterday? How do I have impact where I, you know, help my life progress forward, but I help those around me? Cause I don't want to just succeed on my own. I don't want to just be the person on the podium that's like, look at me. I want everybody to be there, um, on their terms. Right. And so yeah. I think, I think a lot of it did come from, um, I grew up in a lot of turmoil. Um, and I grew up, my family kind of fought a lot. They fell out. I lost a lot of people I love. Um, so I went through a lot of that. And so I think from an early childhood, again, despite everything going on, I was always told from a very young age, um, you're going to be something, you can be something. Um, the world is yours to take. You can do whatever you want. You can, you know, be whatever you want. And like I said, it was my, my teen years and my early adulthood where all of a sudden I started to feel more and more like, Oh no, you can't do that. No, you can't be that. But I think those young years, um, set a foundation that's just, I don't know, that I think overrides everything later, no matter what that is. Yeah. And so I just have that very strong belief. And like I said, it magnetically, I think it just brings me back to that all the time yeah. that um, I, I'm i going to be okay and I'm going to figure this out. And I'm always excited by that. You mentioned it earlier, you used the word curiosity. And that's, you know, it, it feels to me like not only are you really grounded in a deep knowing, self-knowing and self-belief, but you also go into the world with a, a really curious and growth-oriented mindset. And, and you mentioned it earlier as well about, you know, the, the people that you built relationships with and the friendships and the group around you of also like-minded people that want to get to know and want to learn and want to, you know, sort of of keep moving forward and growing um, and I, I find that really really interesting I clearly clearly that's a, that's a huge part of how you're going into the world so tell me just um to fill in some of the of some of the gaps so career wise what's your route been what have you done where are you now like how are you bringing that mindset and opening doors for others, being curious, growth, clearly wanting to have an impact. How are you bringing that into your career? So interesting. The two go hand in hand, the curiosity side. I am curious because I'm curious because I want to learn. Um, I feel like I'm forever the student and I want to learn. I mean, you know, during my school days and high school and whatever, I've had like I've had this curiosity to understand people. And again, I think it goes back into that middle ground. I've read an English translation of the Quran during school, right? Like you, you were taught about Christianity and all that. It was just how it was at that time. Um, Sikhism, Hinduism, there's a lot of these religions. And even from a political standpoint, I've always been curious, like, oh, interesting. Somebody thinks that and then this happens or this is their belief system and this is how it shows up in the world. I'm curious about that. I'm curious what people believe and then how that thought really shows up in this world. 
world. And, and I so, also think, sorry to sorry yeah. to interrupt. I also feel as if adding on to that is you're curious about what what the commonality is between that I feel yes. like there's something really strong of you know there's more that unites us there's more that you, you said it earlier there's more that makes us similar than than yes. different and yes. and I wonder if that's also a part of it as well is yeah a big part of it yeah a big part of it because I think sometimes look there's 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 these different sides of like um, you want to integrate, but you don't want, you want to remain whole as you are. And I think that's interesting. Like, um, you know, I've been to a Nigerian wedding and I found it so interesting. It was a Nigerian Filipino wedding. So interesting to see the two cultures come together. Like it was probably one of the, I don't know, like just an amazing wedding. Um, I have a South Indian friend who is doing a sari ceremony for her daughter Again, just so interesting, right? Bar mitzvahs. Like, I find, I'm curious about all that because I just think that everything has a level of, a spark of greatness that you could be like, oh my God, like, how amazing is that? That you can really appreciate all that stuff. Yeah. Um, that, that makes everybody who they are, that makes, you know, different religions function the way they do. I just think everything has some level of greatness yeah. that, I, I want to learn more about and how, how do I incorporate that into my life? Um, and, and I love, and I love, I love what you're saying because I also feel as if, you know, the prevailing mindset for many is independence. And I feel as if there's much more strength in the interdependencies, you know, as you say, taking the greatness that's inherent in everybody and bringing them together and then together from that basis going out into the world and creating something that's truly phenomenal or powerful. I, 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 yeah, this what you're saying is really resonating for me. Yeah. And you know, it's a combination. It's that we're all connected from a spirituality okay. perspective. We talk about the fact that we're all connected, right? Um, so again, this goes back to that flow back and forth. We're all connected. We're here to learn and grow. How do I take that? And then how do I bring it back to myself? Because there is only you, right? Um, so how does that go back and forth in a meaningful and productive way? Um, and I think for me, my career was very, very similar um, in that it was about, you know, my career spans many different industries, I think, from finance to tech to marketing. Tech has been a huge part of it. But what I started to realize is from that curiosity standpoint, from that collaboration perspective, that really a lot of my career has been about going into companies, understanding what they want and helping them get there. Title role has been important to me to a certain degree, but when I hit like CEO and some of those, I was just like, now what? Right? Like yeah. the curiosity still continued. But I think for me right now, um, where I really feel a calling, um, I guess more and more is, um, helping women, um, specifically. Um, but then just, you know, just helping people succeed, helping people find, and especially women. And the reason I say women is because I have encountered that throughout my career from a gender perspective where, um, I don't know if I've paid attention to the blocks because again, my personality was, I don't care whether you think I can be someone or not. I don't care whether you think I should be here or not. I'm going to be here and I'm going to contribute in a productive and meaningful way. And I'm going to show you results, um, based on that. Right. So, 
I've navigated my career that way, but it's not always easy. It's not mm. always how you want to show up. And I always, you know, say to other people, just because you can fight doesn't mean you should have to. Yeah. Um, and so I want to create room and I want to create space for women to really succeed because I think, I just think the world needs it. I think companies need it. I think, you know, that, that balance and equality is important. Mm-hmm. Um, because people do function in different ways. So again, this goes back to that middle ground for me that, um, if we, if we want to really thrive as a human race, then there has to be um, give and take. There has to be room for everybody to show up and really contribute, you know, as their greatness um, and not be held down. Yeah. And what are some of the lessons, wisdom, skills that you want to impart to the women that that you're working with, that you're empowering in order to help them achieve that goal? Do you know what? I think it's really important to understand who they are um, and how they want to navigate this world. Because um, if you start with you and what you think you want to do, sometimes that can actually be a hindrance to the person because they don't think like you. They're not you. They don't have your childhood or your background. Like sometimes for me, it can be like, well, who cares? Just do it or just move. Right. You can that can be like me, but they might not. Resonate, that might not resonate with them. So I just feel like if I really do want to help women power forward in their careers um, or just their lives, I think what it starts with for me is understanding them, understanding their journey. Because we can be judgmental. Um, yeah. We can be very judgmental too, right? And so it's removing that judgment piece too to say, I'm not here to tell you what I think. Um, I'm here to understand what it is you want. I'm, I'm here to understand what it is you want to bring to life. I'm, I'm here to understand how you want to show up in this world mm. um, and then help them figure out the steps and path that they, because I think if, if they do something that naturally aligns with them and something that, that really makes them feel good, they're going to come back tomorrow and say, I want more. Um, what else can I do? Mm. Otherwise it's just, you end up with friction again because you're forcing someone to be something they're not. And I think mm. I learned that through my career where I started to realize early on that when I was being mentored or, going through those um, stages, um, I wanted to be mentored to be more of who I am, not to fit in. Yeah. And I think mentoring to fit in can work and that's fine if that's what people want and that's how they're going to survive. But I don't know if it helps you thrive. And it's not about being a woman or a man. It's just how you show up and how you want to be, right? Whether you want to be feminine or masculine or or whatever that is. Um, It's really about that. Um, and just understanding people from their perspective, not enforcing yours. Yeah. And you're, you're talking for me of a, of a quality of leadership that's often really overlooked because, and I think that does play up in when we have mentors of the, of the telling, you know, because oftentimes leaders have this assumption that they must lead from the front. So they must have all of the answers and then they must role model. So like you're saying, when then they show up in mentoring roles, it's very much a tell and pushing people into the box because, um, you know, they're just creating mini me's and yes. what you're talking about is a dimension of leadership which is being in service of it, it it sounds like it's a 
well, it's twofold. It's it's a partnership. So you're alongside this person, getting to know them, giving them space to discover who they are. And then you're subtly taking a little step back and then leading from behind and then being there to sort of help and encourage them as they grow into their own greatness. And it's such a beautiful model and representation of the leadership that we very much need in this world. Oh, thank you. And you know what? I think for me, part of it is um, own your growth. Um, everybody should own themselves and their growth and everybody, and you are the only person who knows what that is. Um, and somebody else can help you uncover it. They can help you nudge you. But I think, you know, owning your growth is so key if you really want to progress, right? Mm -hmm. Because, um, otherwise you are going to become a mini me, um, of somebody else. Otherwise you are going to just, you know, be, what somebody else is. And then, like I said, you're going to find 10 years, five years, whatever that is down the line that you start to actually have in, in you're in conflict inside. Cause you're like, well, I'm being told to do this and now I need to do it because they've said it and I'm in, you know, and mm -hmm. Oh, I don't really want to do it. And like, it becomes very wobbly like that. And then I also think there's dependency then um, you actually become dependent on that person yeah. Um, and their thinking and how they would get out of a situation. You don't really learn to think for yourself. I've actually been very strong on that, I find. Yeah. And um, what you're talking to is such a courageous way of turning up in the world. Because when you think about it, you know, from a very young age, we are bombarded with stories and role models and images of what it means to be successful or you know what's expected of us the you know you're told to be a good girl or and you know how to behave and so you're, you're given these messages and then as you go through the education system you end up in a workplace it's exactly the same as you say you know there's 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 often lots of messages of in order to succeed and to fit in here you have to show up and behave in a certain way and it can be really difficult to find the courage and the space that you talk about to go hold on a minute who am I what works for me how do I want to be how can I chart my own path and way in the world and it is a really um for me anyway a very courageous decision to make and I love what you're saying because I fundamentally agree and it's my approach of you know my journey is not going to be your journey we are very different my role is to guide and support and help it's not to tell and I think that there still are roles and there still are companies where there is that inflexibility where um there's a lot of pressure on working mums who, you know, maybe the household is reliant on their salary, they have to work and there's there's an inflexibility, but they're going through this, I guess, crisis of self. You know, the, the job that they're doing is taking more than it's giving and they're racked with you know, mum guilt and there's just a lot of pressure and I'm really interested. What what would your advice be for those women that are trying to navigate that, that want to step more into, you know, what we've been talking about of owning their their voice and their power and creating a life that works better for them. But yet what they but where they are currently and where they find themselves are, I guess, stuck. Well, I think you've got to figure out what works for you. Um, some people can bear it and they think that is what they want. Um, and others are like, well, no, this isn't going to work for me. But I think having a plan um, is usually a good idea. And what I mean by that is you might be stuck now and you might be somewhere 
um, that is not helping you advance. Um, but where do you want to be in a year or two? Are you still going to be stuck there a year later? And if so, you know, you, you have to kind of look at that and think, well, okay, what are the deal breakers? Um, mm-hmm. I've had those where, okay, you know, A, B, and C, and if this doesn't happen, then I will find something else. Or yeah. I, you know, the only constant for me has been me and what I want. Um, and I think that's where loyalty has to be to you. Yeah. Um, because sometimes we're like, well, they need me, I'll stay. And I, again, I just think there's, there's a lot of different reasons. But I think you have to have some sort of plan where, okay, in a year or two, this is where I want to be. Am I going to get there here or am I going to get there somewhere else? And I, I love, and even just how you're talking and it's, it's so, it's like self-empowerment and taking accountability, isn't it? Because, you know, have a plan. Like there, there has to be some form of momentum, you know, it's often the, some of the feedback that I get from individuals and in, women in the type of situation that we've just chatted about is I don't have time. Like I literally, you know, I, I don't even have a minute to myself and I am not discounting that at all. Um, and my sort of challenge back is, so what? As in like, so what next then? Is this going to be your life forever? Like if you want to make a change, you have to start somewhere. And I, and I, I keep, I, like actually the atomic habit and what you said with James Clear, that 1%, you know, it's just, it's just what's that 1% to, that you can do today that you can do tomorrow that's going to move you towards exactly what you said, where you want to be. So it's not necessarily about, you know, resigning and, and quitting your job or be, or having, you know, unfortunately burning out or whatever it is. It doesn't have to, you don't have to hit the wall. And so often we do. So often we don't make a change until something catastrophic happens and then we're forced into it. And actually, how can you take a step back from that and start planning? And for me, it's all about forward momentum. You know, when you're, when you're moving, um, it's amazing how much progress you can make just from those teeny tiny things that you do day in, day out that are getting you towards where you want to be. And I feel like in order to do that though, not only do you need to have a, a vision for your life of where you want to go, I feel like you also have to have a level of self-worth you know, that yes. you deserve, like really fundamentally believing that you deserve better. And then the accountability and the ownership of, well, I'm, you know, cause we're all the authors of our life and it sounds really trite, but it's true. Like what you said about your beliefs and your thoughts, we get to decide what our life looks like. We get to decide who we're in relationship with and how we're showing up. And so at some point you have to take responsibility for that and it can be really overwhelming but if you just focus on putting one foot in front of the other you'll be amazed at how quickly you get to where you are and I love what you're saying also about support because you don't have to do it alone either yeah no I you know what that one percent I'll give you an example of it um and we've talked about it a bit is that um my son, um, I had him in summer school. So I drop him off at school. And when I drop him off at school, I had all this kind of, I felt like dead time um, driving home. Where, okay, I can listen to music. But when you're doing it day in, day out, you're like, okay, I've got this time. And I started to do the audiobooks. Um, and that's how I first um, came across The Untethered Soul. Um, so I'd be driving along and I thought, you know what, I need, cause I kept thinking, I want to read this book. I want to read this book. And then I thought, you know, 
the commitment to sit and read was just big for me at that time and mm-hmm. finding that space to do it. And, and I felt like the mind space to read where as I was driving and you're listening to it, um, it changed so much for me, the book, but even audiobook. So, you know, downtown can be anywhere between 30 minutes to an hour drive here one way. I found a little crack in my day or my week where I was now letting something in that I felt was really helping me um, kind of in that forward momentum to get to where I want to, because it isn't always easy. Yeah. It, it's, it's very difficult to be where you are and think of, okay, where do I want to go? And what's that one thing I should start with? Um, how do I really compound habits? Where do I start? Yeah. And so just something as simple as that um it was a 30 minute drive but just i would look forward to it and think okay what you know what's the next piece of this book now and i just found it just it just did so much for me um yeah. so it doesn't always have to be i think we overcomplicate things um, we definitely sometimes do on those yeah. and I, and i and i agree i think it sometimes it's even we we don't start because we're so um sort of stuck in well where is the right place to start and it doesn't matter it's like no. literally going back to the the point I made earlier about interconnectedness. It's all interconnected. It doesn't matter. Like whatever you do is a is no matter what you do or what action you take, how, however small it may be, that is testament right there and then to the person you're becoming, to changing your life, to wanting more for your life. That's all that matters. Yes. Like it's amazing what momentum comes when you're willing to start. Just dip your tiny toe or finger in and 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 then and then it's amazing what comes from that oh absolutely and one I was telling someone I was in an event last night and I was telling someone this and it kind of made me think um you know we were talking about my career and all that um but anything um one thing I do quite consciously is um you know this goes back to that self-awareness and self-ownership is I pay attention to what it is I'm putting out. What's the action? What, what's the intention? What's the action? What am I putting out? And then like a boomerang, I see what comes back. Um, so I do this, this comes back. I do this, this comes back. Right. Um, and I start paying attention to that. And I was telling someone last night and I said, cause they were asking me about my career. And I said, do you know what? My career is an odd one to some degree. Cause I've got, um, experience that's in many different industries, um, but again, it goes back to the belief system. Sometimes we're on this hamster wheel in this one industry and we think we have to stay there. Um, and we don't necessarily think, well, I can take these skills and move here or move there based on what I want. And so I was telling her and I said, you know what, through my career, what I do is um, when I talk to people, when I network, um, I tell them what I want. I tell them what I do, but I tell them what I do in a way that's you know, based on what I want. Well, this is what I do. This is who I am. And this is what I'd love to do and be. And this is, you know, my future projection. And I said, and it's really interesting when people come back to you and say, hey, I want to introduce you to so-and-so because I heard you say that last night. And, you know, this person could really be, you know, great for you to talk to. And for me, I'm always excited about that. I'm always excited about putting out my ambitions uh, and my intentions like that. Because the other side of it is, Sometimes you can get checked in and say, well, you know, maybe that's not what I want to do. Maybe that's not the path that I want to go because I really don't like that. It's really interesting to see what comes back at you. Wow. Um, I'm going to start doing that. Mandy, that is so <laughs> inspiring. Oh, thank okay. You. What am I manifesting? But, but oh, oh, I'm so inspired by that. Thank you for sharing. And um, 
So we actually have a closing tradition on this podcast. I ask all of my guests, what is something that other people value that you don't? It's not that I don't value other people's opinions. I do. Um, But I don't value negative opinions. I take constructive feedback Mm -hmm. um, and I'm always open to that. I actually love feedback. Um, and cause I want to know how to be better and how to kind of be part of a community where I can contribute. But, um, I just don't value people trying to put me down. Um, and I'm not saying other people do, but sometimes, like I said, you can get caught up in that more than what you believe about yourself. Um, so I just don't think somebody else has the right um, to tell me what I should believe about myself or my if I have limitations. The remember that song that Christina Aguilera and Little Kim did, like years gone by, can't hold us down. As you were talking, <laughs> this is just like boom in my head. <laughs> it feels like it should be your theme tune, or maybe I need to look again at the lyrics. But just even you know, it's like wow. And oh, thank you so much. Thank you for our conversation. It's been absolutely awesome. I've come away with so many ideas on how I'm going to bring even more of my greatness into the world. So thank you. I really appreciate your time. Thank you. And thank you for having me on. Um, so appreciative. Thank you to the amazing individuals who make great conversations possible. My editor, Diane Loritz, musician, Jamie Jenkin, and our incredible guests for their openness. Our website, integrate.net, will be launching in September with loads of other exciting resources. In the meantime, feel free to click the links below for more episodes of Great Conversations. Sending you so much love. Bye for now.